0: Amen.
1: Little bit deeper. This will be the second lesson of a series of lessons concerning this topic. We left off, we read from Acts chapter 2, namely verse 1 through 12, last week. We also looked at Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. And I fully believe that Jesus was talking to His disciples there in a plurality in Mark 16 and verse 17. And He gave them a promise that they would speak in new languages. And in Luke chapter 24, toward the end of the chapter, He instructed those disciples that were to become His apostles to go into Jerusalem and tarry there until they receive power from on high. When that happened, that power would enable them, the apostles, to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, first in Jerusalem, by the authority of or in the name of Jesus. We see that unfold in Acts chapter 2. We started with the last verse of Acts chapter 1 last week where they were gathered together and they was identified as the apostles. So <clears throat> that was just a side note. The baptismal measure gift of t- speaking in tongues was given solely to the apostles. And we see throughout the New Testament an apostle had to be present; and the hands had to be laid to transfer those gifts. The one that had hands laid upon them that was not an apostle that had that gift given to them did not have the ability in which the apostles had to lay their hands and pass it further. Therefore, we recognize tongue speaking as well as miraculous knowledge and other gifts as establishing gifts of the church as they're identified in Romans chapter 1. Run their course. They had their purpose. They achieved that purpose. And now they ceased with the completion of God's Word, which we know as the Bible, namely, the New Testament and that agrees with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when the perfect is come that's the completed word of God tongues will be stilled and knowledge will cease that was miraculous knowledge the keep things in context of what was being taught there but these three will remain faith hope and love and the greatest is charity or love King James Version renders it charity. Some individuals will say that the perfect there is is when Jesus comes back. They will disregard that as the completed Word, even though Jesus is the Word, John chapter 1. They will say that when Jesus comes back, then these three will remain. Faith, hope, and love. Well, there's a problem with that. What's the opposite of faith? According to the Bible, what's the opposite of faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that sight is the opposite of faith. Second Corinthians tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. That faith is the evidence of things not seen. So if Jesus comes back, we will behold Him face to face and therefore faith will not remain. Faith will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. hope will as well. But love is the greatest because it will remain. So we can deduct and understand that it must refer to the completed Word of God. For faith in that word to remain, hope of the heavenly home to remain, and love to carry on even now and further through eternity. So let's pick back up. I gave you a little bit of background. And I'm going to quote to you from a Pentecostal individual himself in a writing that is well known to our friends that practice this belief. Mr. Paul Begett, he wrote a book. In the first page of the book, he identified the charismatic belief on speaking in tongues. But here's the history. It was started by John Wesley. John Wesley had ideals on holiness. The ideal went something like this. This is a review and then we'll move forward. God has two works of grace, two. I submit to you, the Bible says there is one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. There is not a baptism of the Holy Spirit today and also a baptism in water. But your friends that believe this do believe in two. They will say that you'll want to be baptized in water to show that you've been saved. That's what they'll say. But they'll say you originally saved when the Holy Spirit immersed you. And this was made evident because you were able to speak in tongues. And that shows us that God saved you. Now I submit to you that tongue speaking was a sign to the unbeliever, Amen. not the believer. Amen. So the doctrine is out of sorts right. with what the Bible says. We've got a lot to study. We'll look at that further. The first, as far as what John Wesley taught about holiness, is that salvation is brought on by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And this happens at God's discretion. You beg Him at an altar, and He decides to give that to you when He sees fit. As a matter of fact, I've talked to my neighbors, some that believe this way, and they've told me, I think God will save me today. I've been down praying and it hasn't happened yet. But brother and sister so-and-so told me, what well, I'm going to go down this morning. And I hope that God gives it to me. I believe He will. The second part is complete sanctification. And that's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And some of our friends believe that you can get to the point where you won't want to sin anymore. Because the Spirit's abiding in you. It's going to do away with all worldly aspirations. Again, I remind you that Paul had to buffet his body daily. That the Apostle John said, if we are without sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. And we are promised that Satan will hurl fiery darts, the evil one, our way, and that temptations and tribulations and trials will be a part of the Christian life. So, we in the Lord's church fully reject the ideal of sinless perfection. Doesn't Paul say that the things that he should be doing, he neglects, and the things sure. that he shouldn't be doing, he does? Correct. And that's late in his ministry, you know? Sure. A human being. We're in the flesh. What does the Bible say about the flesh? The spirit is willing, but what? Flesh is, weak. flesh is weak. As long as we reside in this earthly tabernacle, we will deal with the difficulties of sin. But we have an advocate. And if we're willing to walk in the light as He is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another and His blood will continually cleanse us from sin. But we've got to be walking. But to make a statement that I can get to the point where I'm not affected by sin anymore is false. And it's a very arrogant statement. Now, among the charismatic groups, you have two segments. Individuals that call themselves holiness and individuals that call themselves Pentecostal. And there's different levels between the two. Now, I'm teaching as respectfully as I can teach. I mean no ill harm, not trying to put anyone down. and I want to make sure I say that. Said that last week, I want to say it again. We're investigating the doctrine. We're investigating the teaching of our friends and neighbors to make sure that we stand where the Bible stands. And to do that, I want you to know the other side of the story. I want you to know what those individuals believe. Pentecostal individuals believe that every Christian can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we read last week in Acts chapter 2. I don't think there's any doubt from our study that we've seen it was promised to the apostles. It was given to the apostles. They were the ones qualified. It was the apostle Peter that taught after it was given. And the doctrine that was taught in Acts 2.42 is even called the apostles' doctrine. In verse 13, it says, Peter stood up with the apostles. And there's no doubt that they spoke in an intelligible language. It was not something ecstatic. It was not something just an utterance. Fourteen plus different language speakers were able to understand in their own language So we can conclude safely that this promise was never given to all Christians. It was given solely to the disciples that became the apostles. It was fulfilled with the apostles. And it helped establish the church. We can also understand that prophecy was when the first century gifts were available. Prophecy was far superior to tongue speaking. The one that could speak forth the Word of God was held in miraculous knowledge, was held in a higher esteem. But that's not the case today with individuals that believe and can still do this. Tongue speaking appears to be the apex, the climax. Okay? Again, we walk by faith. And not by sight. If you have faith in me, by what I can do before your eyes, I've already disregarded the verse I just quoted to you from Second Corinthians chapter six, verse one and two. I believe is where that's at. It's either that or chapter five and seven. I want you to check me on that. It's one of those two. Let me know afterwards walk by faith and not by sight. I believe Second Corinthians 6 is uh, the acceptable hour of salvation is now. Maybe it's 5-7. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. 2 Corinthians 5-7. I halfway know what I'm talking about. Have we seen that this morning? <laughs> <laughs> I promise you I did prepare. Started preparing on Thursday for this lesson. So here are the interests. In tongue speaking today. If you believed that this was given to all Christians, wouldn't it be nice to have this gift given unto you? And herein lies the interest. Here's a quote from Mr. Paul Bageddi. In his writing, Why Speak in Tongues, which is a defense, he is a Pentecostal individual. And this is a writing that he wrote to defend why it should be done outside of the first century. And here's what he says. This is a direct quote from his writing. This experience, also called being filled with the Spirit, is described in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts. The clear pattern, Mr. Baguette says, is that everyone, notice not just the apostles, but everyone who is baptized in the Holy Spirit will speak in unknown tongues, which he himself even identifies as languages. He has that in his writing. As the initial or first language Physical evidence of this experience. So, what's he saying? In other words, he's saying when God fills you with the Spirit, the first thing you will do, the initial response, will be to speak in an unknown language. So, our friends have taken this writing, this didn't come from the Bible. This came from Mr. Baguette, a follower of Wesleyan doctrine on holiness, whether he realizes it or not, because Wesley was the first to teach this in the way it's received today. He teaches, and individuals have taken it and said, you're not saved unless you can speak in tongues. That makes sense if he's right. If it's the first response that God has given you the Spirit, and if Romans 8 and verse 9 is correct, which says if the Spirit is not in you, you are none of Christ, then if you can't speak in tongues, the Spirit's not in you. And therefore, you're not in Christ. Yes, sir? Well, that would... That would lead, with well, that theory, would lead me to believe that only, if you went with that, only the people in the holiness of Pentecostal church is going to make it to heaven. Correct. it wants it to be saved. So there's only going to be a handful of people that's going to make it to heaven. The rest is just going to be lost because God chose not to save them. It's kind of what they're teaching. So that almost goes into predestination. And not only then, that's right, John, and that's an excellent point. When you have doctrines that aren't scriptural, this isn't what always happens. It leads to unintended consequences. Well, we didn't mean to say that. Well, that's what, well, if we go logically with what you're teaching, that's where you go. God's going to give it to whom He chooses. Okay? Now, within the congregations of individuals that believe this way, as you said, there may only be one-fourth of the congregation that can speak in tongues. So the other three-fourths of their own persuasion have to admit that they do not have the Spirit and therefore outside of Christ. Brent, yes. I was raised in the Pentecostal church and not all of them think that. I mean, ours was everybody could be saved, uh-huh. but only certain ones got the gift. Yeah. I see, I see. So it was a favoritism. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. And yeah. we had... A, just look at the men's tie and say, My tie, my tie, my tie you know, and do that, then the Holy Spirit just will just flow. You know, you just get it started. And that's what always when I started questioning, you know. Sure. But all of them have a little different spin on or we did. So. Well we'll get we're going to, we're going to yeah. get that
0: I, I I know a lot of people that uh in the Pentecostal were holding this church and uh I dare say there's a no single one that I know that could speak in a foreign language. No. And I, I, I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but they, they would make utterances, but it would certainly not be a language that would be French, Italian, German, African. Uh, it would not be that. <coughs> and, and, and they have to admit that through.
1: Well, the, they do. They do. They say that the language of First Corinthians 14 is different than Acts 2 is what they'll say. So they'll openly admit that Acts two was an understandable language that they can't do, right. but they say that First Corinthians fourteen is a assenting utterances between you and God. We're gonna we're gonna investigate that as well in the weeks to come. Yes, ma'am. That kind of was my question. Okay. Was that do they pretend that they can understand each other? These people that you know they say that they've been given these tongues, or is it just a bunch of a lot of times, Connie, they will say, uh, my wife's mamaw used to say, I think, I heard uh, brother so-and-so say this, I'm not sure. But that message was between them and God, and what a blessing that, that God gave that to you, and we were witness to that. What we will see in First Corinthians 14 is the tongues were always used to edify It was never just to build up the person that had them. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we'll see that everything that's done today does not match up in either of the Bible teachings of Acts 2 or 1 Corinthians 14. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. That's the whole argument. The whole argument is if you're not being able to be understood, what are you doing? If I speak in the language of angels and men, but I do not have love, I'm like a symbol. I have no understanding. Angels spoke clearly. May I, may I, I want to share that with you? When angels appeared to individuals throughout the Bible, they spoke in the language of the individual. It was not a static utterances. It's not a separate language of angels. Angels spoke in the tongue of the person they were speaking to and they conversed. And the individual was always terrified. Always when the angel appeared. Always terrified. It was not a pleasant experience. But I want to emphasize that. Angels spoke clearly. It's a language that can be understood in both places. But we'll... God is not the author confusion. That's right there First 1 Corinthians 14. Okay? Brent, have you heard anybody speak in tongues? Yes. Did you understand what they were saying? Absolutely not. But well, right here it says, for God is not a God of confusion. Yes. Excellent point. Do all? What's the last verse of First Corinthians? You're right there, brother. What's the last verse say? Verse 40. Is that the last verse? of? All 10? things
0: must be done properly and in
1: an orderly manner. Thank you. Thank you. Now, where I was at, there was no order. No. Women were speaking. That was not allowed. There's no interpreter. They said that God interprets for themselves. That is not what the Bible says. There was individuals over here trying to pay attention to the preacher, individuals speaking in tongues over here, so they say, and individuals over here watching. Absolutely no order at all. Again, not trying to put anybody down, just trying to say that what is done does not conform to what the Bible says. There's a reason why we do not strive for this in the Lord's church. Because it has been fulfilled.
0: Brent, we've got a the Hopkins family's got a cousin that's. He's filled or six cuts away down the way. But he goes to a Pentecostal church around Maria somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he will post a video, five or ten minutes of the church service every now and then at this church he goes to. And there's two different or three people preaching. I mean, at one time there are people singing and playing guitars, and there's people over here dancing. There's people walking around. There's some people sitting here just like this, you know, just as calm as can be. But there's, there's a lot going on there's a lot going on, and there's no way, I don't think you could get, I couldn't get anything out of it because uh, I, was, I was at the house the other day and this guy was working and had the radio on, I had my radio on, so I turned my radio off, okay, because there was, you know, I was hearing two different songs at one time, okay, <laughs> you, I can't hear two songs at one time. <laughs> I'm just to say it was in or something. No. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's much too confusing to me. And, and I'm, I am... Uh, my mouth drops open when I watch this Facebook video. you know. And he's a nice, 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 Always. nice boy. He is a wonderful
1: boy. And uh, <laughs> but he just is emphatically involved in this. And, uh, it's, uh... Josh and I were just discussing before Bible study and he asked me if it was... It's just emotion, it's emotion, emotional experience. Well, a lot of times the doctrine is referred to as emotionalism nonetheless because when you study the Bible with individuals, oftentimes if it disagrees with what they're doing, they will say, You just don't know God gave me this fee. I mean, I felt it. I know it was from God because I had this peace come over me. That's always a defense that's given when it doesn't line up with God's word. Henceforth, you have something called emotionalism where emotion is superior to to what the Bible says. But, I share with Josh. I wasn't raised in a charismatic congregation, but if I were, or if I was, excuse me, and uh, I had been taught by individuals that I loved and respected all my life that this is what you need to be doing. And I was brought up that way. This is what God wants you to do. God will favor you if you can do this. God wants to give this to only so. Certain... Just imagine what I would do to achieve that. Because there is no doubt in my mind that these individuals love God. There is no doubt. I do not question their sincerity for a second. They're at every service. They're great neighbors. They'll give you the shirt off their back and anything to help you come to Cincinnati to pick you up if you broke down the side of the road. Fine people. Fine. But you've been taught this is what God wants you to do. What length would you go to to please God? So I want you to understand I, I am being respectful. Looking at it I'm from the outside looking in. But obviously there is an emotional connection. The word tongue in the Greek is G-L-O-S-S-A, pronounced glossa. It refers to two things. So when you read tongue in the Bible, whether it's Acts 2 or 1 Corinthians 14 or James 3, which you're going to read right now, It's all the same Greek word. Here's what it refers to. The physical organ. This is the tongue okay? that allows me to speak. That's the first reference. And the second is the speech. So you cannot see tongue in the Bible and separate it from physical organ and speech. Now, is this speech understood is what is in question. Is it just an utterance? Or is it understood, such as I'm speaking right now, and we're learning together? Okay. Well, let's put that to the test, please. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of James, and we've got about four minutes left, so we'll move quickly to the book of James, chapter three, and let's read the first, or let's read uh, five verses together. Actually, be six, I guess, counting uh, verse five. James chapter 3 verses 5 through 10 uses this Greek word a lot, glossa, which means physical organ and also means language or speech produced by the physical organ. In the way of review, in the King James Version, italicized is the word unknown in 1 Corinthians 14. That was added by the translators. And it's not in the original text. It just says tongue. It just says this word. Every King James Version you have, if you'll go to 1 Corinthians 14, the word unknown will be italicized. That's because it's letting you know that was placed in there for your reading experience. That was not in the original manuscript. Just the word tongue. That's why we're not investigating the word unknown It's not there. It's added by translators. It doesn't change the meaning at all when you understand what the word tongue means. It's a language that's not native to me. That's what it means. Spanish is an unknown tongue to Brother Baker. I don't understand Spanish. I took classes. I can speak a little, but if you brought me down to Mexico and put me out in T1, I'd be in trouble because I can't converse with the natives. I have to be immersed in that language and learn it. Okay, it's unknown to me. French, Japanese, Mongolian—all unknown to me. Okay, let's read James three, starting in verse five. Even so, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth! And the tongue. Is a fire. This is all the Greek word gloss. The same word that's in 1 Corinthians 14, same word that was in Acts 2. What does it mean here as well? A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body. It seteth it on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm thinking about myself here. I'm not talking about anyone else. Michael. I'm talking about me. I yet to tame mine. I say things that I wish I didn't say every day. I go home and someone will say, can you believe that Brent said that? And I'll say, no, I can't. And I'm Brent. I don't know why I said it. I'm sorry. Okay? This is right. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Is there actually deadly poison in my tongue? Not literal. But I can do the same damage that poison can do to you. With my tongue, I can hurt you physically, spiritually, mentally. Can do great damage. Notice verse nine and verse ten because it really drives home the point that this is understood. Okay, therewith that means the tongue. Therewith means what we've been talking about. Therewith we bless God. When you speak to God, do you speak? In an understandable way, when when you prayed last night or this morning, did did you speak unknown or did you speak in the language you possess? Or when you have a close call on the road and you just about have your front end taken off, and you stop and you look up and you say, "Thank thank you, thank the good Lord, I didn't go another inch; I'd be dead." Did you speak understandably? Absolutely, you did. Therefore we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse men which are made after the similitude of God. Now notice verse 10. Out of the same mouth. Now there is the gloss of tongue now referring to your mouth. This is our language that we speak. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. James 3 5 through10 makes it crystal clear that this is talking about an understandable language wherever this word is used. It's blessing that we do and it's cursing that, but it's all understandable. If I went to the grocery store and talked real bad to the clerk, he or she will know it because and you see me and you would say I can't believe he's acting like that, treating that person that way because my language is understood, okay? So in verse 5, James referred to the physical organ itself. That's the first definition of gloss, tongue. And then 8 through 10, he refers to speech. That's the second definition. Understandable speech to God and man. That's produced by the tongue. And then by extension, and we'll pause right here please. By extension, it refers to the language a person speaks. And we've already seen that in Acts 2. 4 through 8. Now I want you to know that this is the exact same Greek word that's in 1 Corinthians 14. So when someone tells you no, 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 the word tongue in Acts 2 is separate and apart from the word tongue in 1 Corinthians 14, they they're, they're not being honest with you. It's the same Greek word in James 3. Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. And it always refers to the tongue and the speech understanding produced by that oil. in all three instances. Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 14, and James 3. So before we go into 1 Corinthians, I want to establish that that's the same Greek word. I want to let you expel that from your mind that... Oh, well, Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 are different. They're not. It's the exact same word for tongue. Understood in Acts 2. Understood in James 3. Not understood in 1 Corinthians. God is not the author of confusion. Just Brother Leland said, understood there as well. Okay. Any question or comment before we dismiss? Thank you for your kind attention and look forward to being with you in the worship service. Thank you, Daniel.